Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 8th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Ducity. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the bizarre case of the off-duty FBI agent whose gun accidentally fired and shot a bystander, gratefully, not, not lethally, after the agent did a backflip at, the Denver, at a Denver nightclub. The story has made national headlines and has already uh, involved a well-known Denver, Denver lawyer. Pettacahoon from Westward. Now that Frank Azar, the strong arm, is involved, is the FBI in trouble? Well, it's a good lesson for everyone. When you go to a club and plan to do a backflip, do not stick your gun in the back of your underpants. It just isn't a very sturdy place. Denver cannot buy publicity like this unless maybe it's the night before when an Uber driver shot his passenger, killed him, and has now been charged. Uh, really not a good look for the Denver nightlife scene, but I'm guessing it's even a little worse for that agent over at FBI headquarters right now. I have to agree. Carissa Kafer, columnist with the Denver Post. It's wonderful for you to join us. Uh, not a glowing moment for the FBI. From what we've seen so far, has it been handled appropriately? It seems to have been handled appropriately. I know it's ongoing, but I just think that all of us should keep in mind that alcohol plus guns plus dancing do not mix. Duly noted. Speaking of alcohol, dancing, and guns, Ben Gelt joins us, political, public affairs consultant. Uh, Vance, good to have you back. Uh, I'm not sure how this could get more bizarre. I, again, it's, it's, it's fun to make fun of it because, gratefully, the guy who was shot was not seriously injured. But he was still shot in the middle of a nightclub. And as we were remarking before we rolled tape uh, uh, of some of our staff, is that there was something about, I'm not sure if it's Denver or just 2018, was that when the, fire, the gun goes off, only one person kind of looks to run away. The rest are just, this is part of the, part of the show. What was your reaction seeing that video? Shock. Uh, bad timing for the FBI and an already difficult environment for them and just uh, unbelievable. And yeah, it's, it's quite startling to see the, the gun discharge and everybody just kind of freeze and nobody moves. And it, the only person that moved was the FBI agent himself, and he could not have gotten away fast enough. Walking away as if saying, my bad. Yeah, yeah my bad. Uh, Justine Sandoval, political activist. Do you think this puts a damper on future backflips at Denver nightclubs? Oh, definitely. I was actually out that night, and I was like, I probably should go home early. Where I was after the Rockies game. So I watched this video over and over, and it's, I knew it. All these years out in the nightclubs watching this crazy dancing, I knew someone was eventually going to get hurt. But all joking aside, we really are on the topic about gun safety and gun laws right now. And, I mean, being drunk at a nightclub, doing backflips with a loaded gun does not add up to gun safety. And it's kind of shocking to me because I would think of an FBI agent would be a person who would understand the responsibility of possessing a gun and having that gun. So it just goes to show that, you know, people need to really be serious around firearms because it's not just about mass shootings but it's about being responsible and using common sense when you have a weapon. You'd like to think an FBI agent would know to have the safety on, mm -hmm. if, if anything, if anything. Speaking for the responsible gun, gun owners out there, I think they would at least want that. we do not know if he was drinking, but we do know he had a gun in his underpants, which is never good. <laughs> which is never good. A telltale sign. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Backflip may have been signed. You're I right. I only backflip sober. So. <laughs> he did stick yes. the landing. If you're going to backflip, everybody, 
backflips over. That's that's all we're saying. That's a, that's that's your little bit of wisdom from Colorado Rinse It Out. So let's get to some more of the silliness. In a seven to two decision, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop and his case regarding his refusal to make a wedding cake for a gay couple in 2012. The decision centered on the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, commenting that the commission treated Jack Phillips unfairly. The decision referenced quotes from a member of the commission that the court ruled were unfairly hostile toward his religious beliefs. Patty, uh, legal experts were quick to point out that this was more about the commission than religious freedom, but it's still the Supreme Court. So what did you think? Well, speaking of backflips, the Supreme Court went out of its way not to really deal with the basic law in this case, but instead to focus on the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which gave them ample opportunity to find fault with how the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had behaved in this case. You really should not be making any kind of anti-religious statements if you are a commissioner. So they gave the Supreme Court an easy out, which took it. We have a decision that looks like it's in Jack Phillips' favor, but it really doesn't get into the whole business of whether or not a business can refuse to offer a service that is protected uh, to a group that's protected under the law. We don't have a decision on that. And I think it's very narrow. People are saying it's really broad. It isn't. It's a very narrow decision. Even the people who are organizing Pride Fest, Lonnie Hansen, who, who created the big, great equality cake three years ago and is doing another thing this year, he goes, this is, it's a step back, but it is not one of the big steps. This is not sending gays back into the closet. Krista, what did you think of the decision? I mean, when I hear about, and I agree with Patty, it's a narrow decision, but it's still the Supreme Court of the United States. A narrow decision is still a big decision. It's going to have some sort of precedence. We're going to see other decisions across the United States base it on this. What was your uh, takeaway from seeing the 7-2 to decision? Well, you know, it's, uh, it, as you said, it's still a Supreme Court decision. It still has weight, even though it's a narrow ruling. It's also the subject of my Denver Post column today. Um, and I think the point is this. You don't have to agree with the Bible. You don't have to agree with the tenets of any religion. You can uh, disagree with the way those tenets are lived out. But what you cannot do if you are a government body is to show hostility to those beliefs. And so what I ended up doing, I ended up researching the First Amendment a bit and found out that Madison, um, when he was young, had, had run into some pastors who had been jailed because they were Baptist. And it was a dominant Anglican state of Virginia. And after that, he became inspired to take up the cause of, of religious liberty. Of course, he went on to then pen the, the First Amendment. And his point, basically, is that when a majority believes one thing, you still have to protect the minority. You still have to protect minority religions. And in this case, the, the country has gotten more secular, particularly with social norms, sexual norms. I think we still have to protect those who are biblically-minded Christians to practice their religion. I, I think that the court may end up leaning in that direction. It's certainly my hope. I think David Cope will be very proud that you were able to quote James Madison in your year taking this. That well done, Krista. Uh, ben, what do you think about the politics of this? Because there's the legal decisions and what can the, what can happen in, in future court appeals, and that's going to have ramifications. But it's going to be a while from now. Do you think that there's going to be some political hay being made out of this, especially since we're in a pretty heated 2018 election? Yes, I do. I think that both sides immediately claimed victory after the ruling, and I think that uh, over time you'll see that the progressive side of the spectrum is probably going to be able to leverage this further by saying, you know, using it as an example of how our rights and liberties are imperiled and how um, folks that are minorities need to continue to be 
um, fervent in, in, in advocating for protection and, and uh, equal treatment under the law. So I think absolutely it will be used uh, politically, and I think you'll be hearing quite a bit about it all the way through November. Justine, I'll follow up with you. Do you think this will be effective with bases, both conservative and progressive, about uh, this getting the vote out in, in an important election year? Well, I mean, we always hope that there's an issue that rallies people to get out the vote, but people usually don't show up, even with a case like this. But I think that this is a very interesting case um, for people to talk about because the Baker won because the process was ultimately tainted here in Colorado. So looking at how we approach um, these type of cases in the future, and we all know that this turned into a huge issue for this for the um, legislature during the session this year with the... Um, Civil Rights Commission being defunded. So, I mean, this is one of those issues that I think that it will bring up the conversation for us to rally around. But also, through this decision, I mean, it was the process was tainted, but ultimately the accommodation law still stands. So now we need to go forward and talk about how, we, um, how this really sets out when it comes to discriminating certain groups. Governor Hickelberg made headlines this week for his vetoes of several bills from this year's legislative session, bringing his total to nine this year. The vetoes included bills that would have sealed autopsies of children and that would have allowed marijuana tasting clubs and medical marijuana use for kids in the autism spectrum. Krista, through his eight years as governor, Governor Hickenlooper has vetoed 23 bills, nine of them this session, and this was a split legislature. This wasn't a bunch of Republican bills uh, trying to get shoved on his desk. It was a split legislature. Uh, what gives? You know, I, I think he's an independent governor. It's something that I've appreciated about his tenure. In this case, you know, he said, you know, we're running an experiment here, talking about uh, marijuana, uh, being a marijuana state. We need to take time. And I think that's true. Whether you're talking about medical uses, autism, it, it, it could be a good use. On the other hand, when we're talking about homeopathic remedies, that is, things that science has not shown yet to be effective, what if a parent chooses this at the expense of choosing a more effective and science-proven method to treat uh, the symptoms of, of autism. Um, similarly, if we're looking at some of the other things, why not take a step back? Uh, the sealing of, of cases, for example, autopsy cases of kids. What if there's wrongdoing? Um, is it, is it, if, we're, if we're shutting that from the eyes of others, could we actually miss something? So I, I think he was right to say, hey, it's not a firm no, not forever, but let's take a step back. Ben, were you surprised to see so many vetoes, especially coming out of a session where you have a razor-thin Republican majority in the Senate? You have, while it's a democratically controlled House, it wasn't like a whole lot of uh, progressive bills were making it through the Senate. Uh, I guess I was surprised, I'll say, that I've seen nine different vetoes really covering uh, a lot of different areas. What were your thoughts? Very surprising. Um, you know, I think I certainly took notice of the, of the cannabis bills that he vetoed, and I, you know, to me, it's a little late for the governor to be starting to express some kind of concern of, around public health and safety on these issues. The, they have largely ducked those issues, and that, that gets into some really tall weeds that we don't have to go to. But I just thought it was silly on its face. I found it hypocritical. I also think that, yes, it's a fast-paced industry and a lot of change and action, but frankly, Colorado is already losing its grip as a thought leader and as a market leader in the industry and I think that this is only going to serve to help us backslide and I, I thought it was pretty backwards on the part of the governor. Justine, from the variety of vetoes we have to choose from, what was the most surprising to you? Um, you know, I don't think any of them are really surprising. Uh, it's no secret, I think, that Hickenlooper is not a huge fan of marijuana and it's even interesting with the Cory Gardner bill that came out 
um, on the national level that this is a huge industry for Colorado and there's money involved and it's really surprising to me that he continually takes a step back especially when it came to like the the consumption laws or the tasting rooms because this is the brewery guy who had <laughs> beer tastings and breweries everywhere and suddenly we have this new industry and there's this reluctant you know he's reluctant to go forward and move this forward for our economy so it's not surprising to me but I wish that he would be more progressive on that issue or more open to marijuana issues. Pat, I guess it says a lot about 2018 where we have a Democratic governor, John Hickenlooper, vetoing bills regarding marijuana, and we have a Republican senator in Cory Gardner looking to pass federal legislation about marijuana in D.C. Uh, what do you make of it? And not only that, but today Trump said he would probably sign that law mm -hmm. if it gets through. So that's really interesting. I think the autopsy decision was the right one, and it's no surprise that Hickenlooper is going for more transparency and, in fact, more protection of children because it will be transparent. We will be able to know that. Media things. entities fought for that one, right? Oh, absolutely, they fought. We always fight for as much public access as possible. That's not because we want to put the names out there. It's because you want to know what happened. Mm -hmm. um, the, but speaking of fighting for children, I have to say I was very surprised by the autism, just that veto. The tap room, we knew we would get the usual. He's a, he made his fortune and, and name and beer. But the autism issue, the families were there protesting, on waiting for him. They'd been begging him to sign that bill. They hung out outside his office all day Tuesday. He met with them twice. You know, they said, please, I mean, these are desperate parents. It's not like they haven't tried anything possible. It's just like the children um, with seizure disorder who came out here just so they could try medical marijuana for children who were suffering thousands sometimes of seizures a day. And it worked, but it took how many years? And finally, it had to go through the legislature. The Colorado Department of Health didn't come up with a rule for that. And I think now we'll also see that the seizure um, autism the legislature will do it again, and maybe a new governor will take care of it. Primary ballots went out this went out in the mail this week, and for the first time in Colorado history, those addresses included unaffiliated voters. The Republicans running for governor joined us here in this studio for a lively debate that will air tonight at 9 p.m. And we've seen this week more negative ads, including a new ad from Jared Polis, which is actually a negative ad about a negative ad. Uh, ben, you uh, have been a consultant for a long time in politics. You've made your own commercials for other candidates. So as you see the ads we've seen this week, it definitely took a whole different turn. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? What, what, what are you seeing as a seasoned uh, political professional from the ads we're looking at? Well, it's fun to see such a meta ad. It's very 2018, very, you know, meme, viral. You know, it's no surprise, frankly. We're right here at the end. The governor's race, uh, particularly the Democratic primary, is, is I think most people feel a toss-up. The governor tried to put his thumb on the scale a little bit the other week by commenting that Kerry Kennedy appears to be ahead in all of the polls. So this is not surprising at all. I think the, the most interesting of, of, the, of the spectrum of ads that we've seen was actually Victor Mitchell's that went so aggressively after Walker Stapleton, who I think we can safely presume will be the Republican nominee. So I, it, it's interesting to watch that mudslinging because I think it will, it will stick, and it's not a good sign for the Republicans for the general. Justine, and I can be crazy here, so my question is <laughs> going to be to you, am I crazy? So here's, here's what you need to judge from. Seeing what we had in uh, 2016, especially in Colorado, you had a pretty fierce battle between Bernie Democrats and Hillary Democrats. And it feels a lot like everything old is new again in 2018 when you have Jared Polis 
uh, fans and supporters and Kerry Kennedy fans and supporters who seem to maybe not be the very same group but echo a lot of that same battle. And I don't know where it's going to land, but maybe I'm being too myopic about it. Am I crazy? You are not crazy. In fact, this whole situation has been driving me crazy. Primary season <laughs> cannot be over soon enough. Um, I'm seeing the exact type of infighting that we had during the 2016 election. And really, it's, it's interesting. You have two groups within one group that are fighting, and I'm really worried, especially when it comes to the attack ad, and then attack ad countering the attack ad. And it just turns into this mess that I really worry right now that you know, we're going to make it through the primary, but come the general election, where are Democrats in the state? What are our issues that we are focused on? And where are we going to get over some of that infighting and really put those progressive values in perspective and push behind a candidate? Because right now, the way things are going in the party, it's looking pretty scary come the general election. So there's definitely a lot of that battle still going on. And like I said, I cannot wait until this uh, election is over, this primary is over. <laughs> Uh, Patty, it's it's not just uh, the Democrats. I mean, certainly we're seeing more of those ads. And, and finally, Mike Johnson's making some very interesting ads as, as a, uh, I guess, a, a whole different perspective from what we're seeing from both uh, Polis and at least Kennedy's PAC. Uh, and then you have Republicans really going at it, uh, Walker Stapleton doubling down on supporting Trump, which may or may not play well in Colorado. There are a lot of conservatives in Colorado that may or may not think supporting Trump is a good idea or not. Ted Cruz handily won in 2016. It's, it's a strange season getting stranger. What do you think? Well, you're ignoring the fact that that 2016 election was rigged in Colorado. That's a good point. According <laughs> to I Donald Trump. A man whose name, if I were Walker Stapleton, which is hard to imagine, um, <laughs> I would not invoke right now as much as he is. It might help him with Republicans against these other three, but it is not going to help him come November in a state where Trump did not do that well. Uh, we assume Stapleton will be in the primary, even though he didn't show up for the debate here. I didn't think you missed much. I watched some of him on Channel 9's debate last night, and he did not cover himself with glory in that one. I think one of the most interesting things about these candidates is how they respond to attack ads and how they respond to be challenged about errors. That was certainly something they did on Channel 9. They challenged Stapleton about had he learned anything from his inaccuracies, and he said no, um, which was interesting. And here, and when you had the debate with uh, the first day of negative advertising for the Democrats, and Kerry Kennedy was challenged about that, and she just did not even respond. So I, I kind of am interested in the attack ads right now, just because it gets the candidates to be a little more. Uh, they respond a little more quickly. They're a little less measured. So maybe we'll find out more about them. Krista, the, uh, well, I mentioned it in the topic, uh, the, the big unknown here, because it's never happened before, is unaffiliated voters. They can only pick one ballot, as I have said in the debates. I know Lynn Barlow would want me to remind you that if you're an unaffiliated voter, you can only select one ballot. Democrats or Republicans, if you send them both, they'll both be nulled. But that still seems to me like a significant um, unknown out there because 33% of the electorate is unaffiliated voters. That's a lot of people, even if only a small chunk of those folks decide to send in a ballot. That could sway a close election, which it looks like at the very least on the Democratic side, we have. You really can't rule out anybody. I think Donna Lynn's probably running a, a distant fourth, but she's still in the race. Uh, and Walker Stapleton and Victor Mitchell at least trying to make a race of it. I don't know how decided that is. When you look at unaffiliated's input uh, and impact in this uh, primary election, 
What do you think is going to happen? I think it's great. So I'm an unaffiliated voter. I got my ballot. And I like the fact that I could weigh into the process. A third of, a, of Coloradans are unaffiliated, and we can weigh into that process. So you can have right-leaning and left-leaning unaffiliates saying, hey, I want to I be a part of this. I also think that, that both parties have shrunk to a degree with more unaffiliateds now. And so you have more of a kind of a hardcore group on each side. This allows some more of the more moderate voices to come in and put their voice along with the others in deciding what these primary outcomes will be. It should be very interesting to watch on June 26th. The Western Conservative Summit will bring some big-name conservatives to Colorado this weekend, including Attorney General Jeff Sessions and Secretary of the EPA Scott Pruitt. Justine, uh, we were coming before we rolled tape. This is impressive of how many big names are coming to this summit, uh, but uh, Jeff Sessions and especially Scott Pruitt, at least lately, uh, thanks to Twitter, brings a little bit of baggage. Do you think uh, lotion will be something that is brought up at the Western Conservative Summit this year? <laughs> I mean, there's so many uh, Pruitt jokes that we can go with right now on this. One of the best tweets I saw was, it puts its lotion, our government <laughs> lotion on its skin. <laughs> um, it's interesting, the Western Conservative uh, Summit comes here, and there's a lot of talk, you know, we're a purple state now, and a lot of people have thought we're going to turn blue, but it very well is anybody's game here which way the state goes. So you see a lot of these people coming in, but when you have these people are trying to convince, you know, conservatives to get on board, maybe Pruitt and Sessions aren't your best, you know, talking or your best keynote speakers for um, this type of summit. Pruitt, they uh, did an article today that I saw online that was like the most corrupt member of the council of uh, Bush's cabinet. cabinet because Trump's cabinet. Trump's cabinet. Sorry, Bush. I'm just having. <laughs> this is Freudian slip city. Don't worry about like it. It's just like all coming together now, <laughs> and I'm like, where, what time is it? Where are we? Uh, definitely this, you know, the scandals are just one after another between the hotel and or the $50 night condo, the mattress, the lotion, you know, having his staff do personal errands for him. It just does not reflect well on the Trump administration and does not reflect well. I don't even know what he's done for the EPA. We have not talked about the EPA once. It's just constant scandal after scandal. Yep. Uh, Patty, these are big names coming to the summit. It's going to get a lot of attention. It's probably going to get a lot of national attention. Uh, will, that over, will, that over, uh, uh, will that be a bigger deal than some of the things we've seen on Twitter about Scott Pruitt? Well, it depends on what his rider list is at the Colorado Convention Center, you know, what he's demanding be provided for him. <laughs> you know, we will not only see a lot of national attention of the speakers, but of the protests. Jared Polis was out there at noon today with a group because of sessions. We've got an NRA protest tomorrow. So we'll see how Denver looks and how Denver protesters and Denver residents and Denver police acquit themselves. We hope no one has underpa uh, underpants stuffed with guns like that FBI agent because we don't need any more bad publicity. Chris, this started out as a, uh, a small get-together that Bill Armstrong said to John Andrews, I want a Western CPAC, and now it is enormous. Uh, what do you think uh, we'll be talking about next week after the Western Conservative Summit? You know, I, I hope that it engages in the conversation and provides some material out there. I'm, I'm with Justine. I think that perhaps uh, Sessions and Pruitt were not the best choices. Um, I think that uh, that that uh, Attorney General Sessions is, is a nice man. The more that Trump beats up on him, the more I like him. Um, but his, uh, you know, he's, he's a true conservative. The state is fairly libertarian. Um, and then Pruitt is drowning, drowning in, in scandals. And what's he going to talk about? Uh, you know, maybe that's what we'll be talking about in a week. Good point. Ben, wrap it up for us. You know, it's an interesting event. It's a, it's a feel-good thing for Western conservatives and Colorado conservatives. It's a way for 
um, the, the local contingent to have direct contact with national and, and frankly international players in the conservative uh, community. Um, I think the attention that will come into the city will all be really positive. I'm not worried at all about how the police acquit themselves. I'm also not worried about any backflips uh, in that crowd. I do suspect there will be many, many concealed carry in the room. Just no backflips, guys. Um, so it should be fine. You know, I, to me, I think it's cool that it's here. It's, it's great to see more political attention focused on a market like Colorado. You know, I remember growing up in a very political family, Colorado being a flyover state. And to me, this event really shows that that is no longer the case, that, that um, you know, political players of all stripes are willing to invest time and money and energy into this market. And Sessions and Pruitt, we may make jokes, we, make, make, we may make light, but at the end of the day, Hardcore conservatives don't care about this stuff. They are supportive of those two people. They are supportive of the messages that they have. You want to talk about what they're doing at the EPA. Part of the reason he's able to spend so much time doing other stuff is because all he's doing is, is just hacking regulations and stripping away. So that work is actually pretty easy. So good for us for having it. You know, too bad that we have such characters in place and power, but, um, you know, you get the government you deserve. So here we are. Let's quickly get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Wasn't long ago the Denver officials were paying $16,000 to fly to Paris to celebrate Norwegian Airlines' flight there. They've now cut back on some of that schedule as of November 1, leaving some of the people who bought the tickets high and dry. Krista. You know, Attorney uh, General Sessions said that uh, good people do not smoke marijuana. Now, I'm not a smoker. I'm not a fan of drugs. I don't do drugs. You know what? There are some good people who, who smoke marijuana. Just a silly blanket statement. Ben. So silly. Um, yeah, I'll pile on with, with Patty here. It's, it's laughable to see the city cut back on that stuff after such a negative round of press as if they're doing it for austerity. Justine. Uh, Denver City Council was not able to meet this week because too many members had flown out to L.A. Um, for a trip with the Downtown Denver Partnership for ur an urban exploration trip. And to me, that just in the, the middle of a housing crisis and a homeless crisis here in Denver, it's very telling about some of the members' relationship with the Downtown Denver Partnership, and we know some of their hostility with the homeless here in Denver. So, We had a disgrace from one of our viewers. Adrian commented that uh, it was a disgrace to see the racial slur graffiti uh, right in front of the, is the bench in front of the Whittier Cafe, a uh, black-owned business right here in the neighborhood. Say something nice very quickly, Patty. Americans for the Arts bringing a thousand arts leaders to Denver next week. They haven't been here for 30 years, and they're going to find a very changed city. Science has used an algorithm to figure out how much caffeine, how much coffee you should have, and at what times during the day. It's a blessing to all of us. <laughs> ben. Gabrielle Bryant, who uh, had her last show here last week. I'm sorry I missed her, and best of luck to you. Justine. Um, back to the Whittier Cafe, to the community that came out and had a huge rally the next day after those comments were written on the building. Um, that's my neighborhood, and I think it's amazing that so many people came together. And like Brother Jeff said, it's about everybody in this community. We will not tolerate racism. Here, here. Before we go tonight, be sure to stay tuned right here at 9 p.m. as we continue our primary election season coverage with Colorado Sides and the Republicans running for governor of Colorado. It is an intriguing debate, trust me. That's all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we are there. Check out our podcasts on iTunes and Google Play. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.